drive down the road, you see church marquees, and some of them have signs on them. And the other day I passed church, and I thought, well, some somebody's pulled a prank, and they've changed the words in that church sign. But then after I thought about it a minute, I said, no, they meant to say that. Because as I was driving down the road, I read these words, Jesus knows me, this I love. And I first thought somebody had changed that from Jesus loves me, this I know. But then I realized, no, that is true. Jesus loves me, this I know. But then when you think about it, Jesus knows me, this I love. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior who knows us and loves us and gives us his marvelous, wonderful grace? every day. So uh, that, that encouraged my heart. I told Brother John I wanted to tell him this morning I don't want him to be shocked when he drives down past uh, Highway 25, past the church where he and Joe got married. I was driving down there the other day and I noticed the Wilton Baptist Church had been demolished. I remember the pastor telling me that they had done everything they could to that old building and it just really wasn't worth repairing and so they were going to knock it down. Well, I want to tell you, when they got ready to knock the church down, they did it in a hurry. And not only did they knock it down, but they've hauled most of it off. And uh, I was thinking about that, and I said, John, just think about this. Your marriage lasted longer than the church you got married in. (laughs) And so, uh, but I want to tell you, the Wilton Baptist Church is alive and well. They got a young pastor down there, and I'm impressed with uh, him. I preached a one-night revival for him. Uh, I was one of several evangelists that they used for different nights. And I was very impressed with the spirit and, and, and the way the Lord moved in that service. And in fact, I preached a sermon that I stole from another preacher. Uh, some of you guys know I have a sermon I developed on the four chairs that we saw at Promise Keepers, but I improved on it. I alliterated it, and I put more scripture with it. And so I preached that sermon at Wilton that night, and we had two people get saved, and I was thrilled. And uh, the pastor called me the next week and he said, Brother Mike, I, I need to ask your forgiveness. And I said, why do you need to ask my forgiveness? He said, well, I took the sermon you preached last Sunday night at our church. And I said, you did? He said, yeah. He said, I was preaching at first priority this morning and I preached your sermon. And I said, well, how did it go? He said, 16 people got saved. And I said, well, praise God for that, I tell you. You know, I said, next time I steal a sermon, I'll pass it on along to you again. But, uh, you know, the thing about the church is this. The church is not the building. And so when I preach the state of the church, I'm not talking about the buildings that are here on this campus or across the street. I'm talking about the church sitting in the pews this morning. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to what I consider the greatest passage on the church in the New Testament Matthew chapter 16. Now, if you write in your margin every time I preach on this, your margin is probably full. But I don't preach the same sermon every time. I have to change it up. This is the state of the church. So if you'll turn to Matthew 16 and then stand with me as we show our respect for the readings of of God's Word, we'll read from the greatest passage in the New Testament on the church. This is the Word of the living God. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, 
Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, this is one of those pivotal points in the gospel where something very significant happens. And it happened at a significant place. This is one of my favorite places to visit in Israel. It's up in the northern part of Israel. In fact, sometimes when there's problems in Lebanon, you can't go to this place because it is within a missile shot of the Lebanese border. It's not far from where a lot of the uh, action takes place whenever uh, Lebanon and Israel uh, get in, into a, a shouting match or a shooting match with each other. But it's a beautiful place because you're standing there and there's a solid rock wall. And at the base of that solid rock wall comes a stream flowing from underground. And when it flows, that stream is the Jordan River. The last time we were there, they had built little bridges across the river and you could buy little cups and put that cup down in the water and take the water out of the Jordan River and drink it safely. In fact, there were two places in the Holy Land that I literally drank the water that they told us it was safe to drink. One of them was that place where we drank directly from the Jordan. And then the other was a place in, near Jericho called Elisha's Spring where an Arab man held a, a, a garden hose and for a dollar he would let you take a drink as much as you want out of Elisha's spring. And I wanna tell you that water was cool and it was clear and, and it was thirst quenching, it was great. Uh, that was one of the few places we didn't have to drink our water out of a bottle. But uh, I love Caesarea Philippi and that rock wall had been converted into a pagan temple. And that pagan temple was there in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, it was only a few hundred years old. Now it is a few thousand years old. And you can still see that, and you can still see where by the Jordan River uh, this statement occurred. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they gave him the answer, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Jeremiah or Elijah. Some people uh, think you're one of the prophets. And then he asked them a question that is going to be asked of every person. Who do you say that I am? And that's the question I asked the church this morning. Who is Jesus to you? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed are thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for your flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but the Father in heaven revealed it to you. And then Jesus made a statement that I think is the greatest statement ever made about the church. And he said, I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now there are several ways to interpret that verse. Was he talking to Peter that I'm gonna build the church on Peter? And there are people who believe that. In fact, several years ago, we had the opportunity to go to Rome. If you ever go to Rome, there are a lot of statues, statues of Peter all over Rome. And in most of those statues, somewhere on that statue, he's holding a set of keys because they believe that the keys to the kingdom were literally given to Simon Peter. I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus said, thou art Peter, 
and on this rock I'll build my church. The church of Jesus Christ is not built upon any man. The church of Jesus Christ is built on the Lord himself. And then he said this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When I was a little boy and my pastor would preach on this passage, I would envision the church as a fort. And all of us Christians were inside the fort. And outside came the devil and the demons and all the wicked people. And they were attacking the fort that was the church. And and that's the picture I had whenever I read this scripture. Then when I started studying a little more, I said, wait a minute. It's the church that's going to knock down the gates of hell. You see, it's hell that's the fortress. And we as Christians are supposed to assault hell with the word of God and with our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of the church. And so today I want to bring you a message called the state of the church. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He said, growing churches love and loving churches grow. And I believe that's true anywhere, anytime, any place. If you're in the inner city, a growing, a loving church will grow and a growing church will love. If you're in the countryside, a growing church will love and a loving church will grow. In the suburbs, that works. On the mission fields, that works. People are seeking love and they need to find it in the church. As we look at the church, first of all, let's look at the past. Many of you don't know this. You may not care all that much about it, but you need to know a little something about our history. Our church was founded in 1909. For many years, we thought our church was founded in 1913. Miss Willie Mae Dennis, who had been the longest active member of our church, was our church clerk for years, told me that the church was founded in 1913. And after Miss Willie Mae passed on, I thought, well, we need to look and start getting ready to celebrate the centennial anniversary of the church in 2013. And when I started looking, I talked to Bobby Joe Seals and he said, Brother Mike, you're wrong. And I said, what do you mean I'm wrong? And he said, the church was founded in 1909. And I said, well, Miss Willie May always told me 1913. He said, well, there's articles and things in the Shelby County Association that says y'all were founded in 1909. And so sure enough, I went and looked up and we were. So we celebrated our centennial four years ago. And 2009, we had all the living pastors come back. There were uh, three of them at that time. Now there's, besides myself, there's only two. Uh, Cecil Brown's gone to be with the Lord since then. But uh, the years from 1909 to the 1930s were struggling years. Uh, the church many times did not meet. In fact, there's a story that's told about the old white frame church building that was down on Church Street that uh, they let the grass and the weeds grow up and there were actually grass and weeds growing in the church and goats came in. I guess in those days, you just let your goats run wild and pell them. Goats came in and actually goats were living in the church. Uh, That's a new take on the sheep and the goats. Pelham Baptist didn't have any sheep, but they had goats in it. And so uh, uh, I remember the story Willie May telling me about her father and some of the other men saying, we're going to run the goats out and we're going to repair the church and the goats will never live there again. And and they kept their word. But until 1948, the church was only a part-time church. And some of you, uh, I know Brother Paul and Benny Jackson, remember Harless Cowan, who was a Baptist preacher here. Harless was a student at Howard College and the church called him to be their pastor. And he preached on the first Sunday and the third Sunday. And he lived on the pastor and was going to Howard College, which was in Eastlake then. It wasn't where it is now. It was in Eastlake. And he told the folks, he said, look, I don't have a place to preach the second and fourth Sunday. He said, if y'all will just let me have service, I won't charge you anymore. 
And I told Harless, I said, Harless, you did the pastor a great disservice. You taught him to have full-time preaching on part-time pay. And I reminded him of that and, and that he was the one that instigated that. But in 1965, Ronnie Euler came here and that marks a change in the church because the church was no longer a rural church. Pelham had become a suburb and people were kind of trickling out of Birmingham in the 1960s and the trickle became a, a, a flood in the 1970s and the 1980s and it's continued to this day. So until 1965, we were a rural church. And then from 1965 to today, we are a suburban church. We live in, we're a bedroom community of Birmingham. Almost everybody that goes to church here works probably in the Birmingham area, maybe in Hoover or Homewood or Vestavia, or, or you may work at a school somewhere. Uh, and now Shelby County has become the fastest growing, most affluent county in the state of Alabama. And it's also become the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama. About 83% of the people in Shelby County, according to what we've been told by the uh, North American Mission Board, don't attend any church uh, at least once a month. And I wonder about a person's relationship with the Lord if they only go to church once a month. I know there's some folks that are shut in, they can't go to church, I understand that. But the vast majority of people in Shelby County just don't go to church. So that's the mission field we live in and that's the past. But then there's the present. What, what are we doing at the present? Well, we have the ministry of the word and that's what we're doing today. I'm preaching the word and we're encouraging people to go to Sunday school to hear the word taught. And last year we proclaimed it the year of the Bible, uh, believe his word. And I think we had more people last year read the Bible through than ever in the history of the church. And so many people have, have commented on what a blessing that was. Some of us read in different translations than we normally read it in. And so uh, it's always a good thing to read the Bible. I I don't want to ever discourage you from reading the Bible through in a year. In fact, that's a good thing to do every year. Set, a, set aside a time every day to read the Bible. And not only do we uh, read the Word and preach the Word, uh, we teach the Word. We teach it in Sunday school. We teach it in discipleship. Uh, we teach it on Wednesday night. We teach it in Sunday school. Every time we have an opportunity, we teach the Word. We have a group here come during the week that's mops, uh, mothers of preschoolers. And they come about twice a month and they fill up the room downstairs. I think Peggy works with them as a consultant, as an encourager, as a lady who at one time was a mop. Uh, but now all her mops are, 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 are tops or something. They're something else. They're not mops anymore. But uh, uh, she is a wonderful role model for them. Uh, Peg taught for a long time in our preschool department, an excellent teacher. And, and loves the word and still active teaching these young women in mops about how to be godly women. So we have a ministry going on. And by the way, it goes on pretty much seven days a week. Something's going on here seven days a week. We even have a Hispanic group uh, that sometimes comes in. If there's nothing going on on Saturday, they come in and they'll have special Bible studies. So uh, we're ministering the word. And then we also have missions and that's our witness. Uh, we send mission groups. In fact, Barry and Paula and John Lamb just got back in this week from Africa. They were there two weeks with Liv and Brian uh, going with Anza Imani, trying to build that boys' home there uh, for the boys in Mwanza who live on the street. Uh, we also have something I'll mention again in, in just a minute, but uh, we bought land in Kenya, an acre of land, and we paid for drilling a well, and now there's a pump on that land, and people are coming there that used to have to walk five miles to get stagnant water, and now they can come and fill up their pots and, and their pitchers at that well, and we hope to put a church there called the Living Waters Baptist Church, and I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Now, we got a group going to New Orleans, Brother Paul's got a group going. I understand the group's pretty much full. They've already got all their beds allotted on that trip. 
uh, this spring. We've got a group going with Brother Paul Coburn and, and Brother Sam, and I think this year, are they going to Peru this year? Is that where it's going? Because Brother Sam, I know, is in charge of is it Peru or Ecuador. It's Peru, okay. I, I, I get confused all the time because uh, sometimes they go to Peru, but I think Brother Sam is in charge of Peru now, so I think he's focusing on that. Uh, we've got a group from the church going to Marion, Arkansas in June. That's our largest trip. We usually carry over 100 people. A lot of young people go on that trip. A lot of families go on that trip. Uh, we're involved in missions. Uh, we need to be more involved in missions here in Shelby County. Last fall, we did a thing called Move, and we're going to do another one of those coming up this spring, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But we have a witness, and we must witness. Jesus said to, to start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And last December, uh, we had the largest Lottie Moon Christmas offering go we'd ever had. It's gone up when we first started trying to keep a missionary family on the field. It was about $37,000. This year, it was $49,800. When I saw that, uh, I, I had to swallow three or four times before I, I wanted to announce that. I thought, Lord, that's a lot of money. But uh, we gave you a challenge, and you prayed about it, and you sacrificially gave. And we met that challenge, and we met it by before the end of the year. That's what blessed my heart. On the 100th anniversary of Lottie Moon's death, coming home from the mission field, we actually went over our goal before the end of the year. And I'm grateful for that. So we're active in missions. We're active in ministry. And I love the way that we're active in magnification. I love it when we worship the Lord. And whether we're worshiping in here as a congregation in the sanctuary or what's going on down in the children's wing, which is called wiggling worship. Now, I don't know about your pictures of wiggling worship, but I'm glad it's going on in the children's wing. I don't think I would make a very good wiggling worshiper. Uh, there's not a lot of wiggle left in me at my age, but uh, I'm glad our children are taught from an early age to praise the Lord, to, to, to lift their hand. And by the way, if, if lifting your hands in the sanctuary bothers you, uh, I love you, but get over it, all right? Uh, I, 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 I'm not ever going to, I'm not going to come out. I don't have a gun on me. I'm not going to come out there and hold a gun on you and say, raise your hands in the sanctuary or I will shoot. I would be wrong to do that. But you would be wrong to tell people not to raise their hands in the sanctuary. We want you to be free. You can sit there like this if you want to and say, you're not ever going to get to me. Nothing you say is going to get to me. The Lord himself could come down from heaven. He's not going to get to me. Uh, I'm just not going to listen to what you say. That's fine. You can sit there like that and be a nod on a log. Nobody's going to bother you. When we're through, you can get up and walk out the door. That's all right. But I want to tell you, I hope you'll open your heart to Jesus. I hope you'll learn to, to really praise the Lord. I got set free years ago. I mean, I really did. I, I first got set free about clapping. Uh, years ago, it, we, we had a deacon here that he didn't like clapping. And the first time we had clapping in the sanctuary, he didn't go to the deacons and tell the deacons he didn't like clapping in the sanctuary. He came to me and he said, I don't like clapping in the sanctuary. And I said, you don't? He said, no, I don't. And I said, have you ever read the Bible? I've read my Bible. I said, have you ever read the Psalms? I've read the Psalms. I said, well, the Psalms told the people of Israel to clap their hands in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And I said, you think our church is more holy than the tabernacle and the temple? I don't like clapping hands. Well, he kind of vexed my spirit a little bit. I didn't want to argue in church, so I just quit arguing. I wasn't going to change him. He wasn't going to change me. And then not long after that, I went to First Baptist Montgomery. And their deaf choir did a concert. And I noticed every time... 
they would use the word praise, they would clap their hands and their hands would go up like a dove. And the guy explained, he said, that's the way you praise God when you're deaf. You can't praise him with your lips, you praise him with your hands. And I came back and I told our church, I said, hey, when we clap in church, we're not praising the singer, we're not praising the song, we're praising God. And you're free to clap your hands if you want to. Sometimes we have Baptist meetings here and I have to give them a clap blessing because they come from churches where they're clap deprived. And, and, and they're afraid if they clap their hands, their arms are gonna fall off in church. And I assure them, listen. And by the way, you know what? Some of those people that are so dignified and don't wanna clap in church, when they go to a football game, they act like a maniac. They foam at the mouth if their team gets a first down. If they win the game, you know, they go out and buy everything at the, at, the, at the souvenir stand that has their team colors on. They put those flags on their car and they'll drive down. The, I saw a guy the other day driving down the, the road in, in a car that had flags on. The flags had been there so long, they were ragged like they'd been in battle. In fact, you could hardly tell what school they were from. I got my flags flying. I want to know people, I want people to know what side I'm on. I want to tell you, I want people in Pelham, Alabama to know that I'm on the Lord's side. That's what I want them to know. And I get excited about that. You say, oh, you're a football fan. Yeah, you know, I'm a football fan, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And there's a vast difference there. I loved it last Sunday afternoon. We opened up the whole quad room at five o'clock. The week before we opened up half the quad room and it was packed. Brother Don said, I'm going to open up the whole quad room for you, Brother Mike. And I said, good. And it's not to hear me, it's to hear Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And so we got there and some, some of them had missed the first. We showed it at 4.15. Brother John went above and beyond the call of duty and showed it at 4.15 for those who'd missed it. And then at 5 o'clock, when everybody was in there to see session two, we packed out the quad room with people learning how not to be a fan of Jesus, but to be a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ. And if we are a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ, we love it when the Lord is magnified. And by the way, you say, how can I magnify the Lord? By worship. If that's what it says in the Psalms, oh, magnify, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. I love it. That's what's going on now. What about the potential? Are there things that we could do better? Yes. And there's some things on an internal basis that we have potential. First of all is the staff. Right now we're at full ministerial staff, but we're short two ministry assistants and we're working on that. And uh, those positions will be filled hopefully sometime in the future. But I want to focus on the ministry staff. Uh, for several years now, uh, we added Brother Don last year and that completed our ministry staff. Last year, Brother Ben Birdsong graduated uh, from Beeson Divinity School and he had been our uh, youth intern. And when Ben graduated, we didn't want to lose Ben. And so we put him on staff full time and he is now a ministry intern. He works, well, pretty much wherever we tell him to work. Uh, but I want to tell you this, every staff member has to do that. They all have that wonderful, magical number seven in their job description. You say, Brother Mike, what's number seven? Other tasks as assigned by the pastor. I learned a long time ago that that is a holy number. And so we always put, Brother Paul said somehow slipped up, it's number eight in his, but I'm still remembering it's number eight, Brother Paul. When I say everybody else is number seven, Brother Paul have to say number eight. But we didn't want to lose Ben, so we put him on as a ministry intern. And about a year ago, I went to Brother Donnie and I said, Donnie, I want you to pray with me about something. I want to think about making a transition. And Brother Donnie's been our youth minister uh, for almost 10 years now, I guess, nine or 10 years. 
And uh, he told me he wanted to be his girl's youth minister. His youngest daughter will graduate from Pelham High School in May. And so I've asked him to consider making a change. I've been working with the personnel committee. You say, why are you telling us this? Well, I believe in trusting the Lord and telling the people. And the the personnel committee and Brother Don and I have been working with Brother Donnie. And uh, we've worked up. We would like for Donnie to transition if the church votes on it later on this spring. Uh, to be our Minister of Outreach and Recreation. Uh, Brother Donnie is very gifted there. He's been doing Upward for years and does a great job. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about expanding that in a minute. But we'd like for him to move that. He also does a great job with outreach events. He uh, really, more than any other staff minister or any other minister anywhere, headed up uh, the awakening that we had a few years ago down at the Oak Mountain Amphitheater. And by the way, we've got a special event coming up down there on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're planning to move our Easter Sunday services to the, to, the, uh, to the Pelham Civic Complex for the first time in uh, 13 years. We'll have everybody together under one roof for one Easter service, and we're going to invite everybody. In fact, we're going to target people in Ballantry. Uh, we're going to do another move event and cover Ballantry with our teams and invite the folks in Ballantry and, and really invite everybody around us to come and worship with us on Easter Sunday uh, down at the Pelham Civic Complex. Uh, Brother Donnie would be able to not just give oversight to things like that, but to follow up as well. And so that will be moving on this spring, and hopefully by the end of May, he'll transfer to be Minister of Outreach and Recreation. And then we'll ask Brother Ben to be our interim youth pastor, and we'll select a search committee, and we'll encourage them to go and find a good youth pastor. And I would encourage them to not look too far when they start looking. Uh, we love Brother Ben, and our young people love him. He came on as a youth intern and has endeared himself to the youth and their parents. And so we're excited about that. That's a, a change, and that's the C word. Uh, but change is good. And whether you realize not all of us are changing. Uh, you're not the same as you were five years ago. I'm not the same as I was five years ago. Five years from now, I don't know what I'll be. You don't know what you'll be five years from now. Well, we have to be open to that. So that's potential in our staff, and we're excited about that. And then Sunday school. And uh, I love Brother Charles. I love him to death. I think we have the best Sunday school superintendent in the Southern Baptist Convention. Nobody loves Sunday school more than Brother Charles. But I want to tell you this. We can do better in Sunday school. Not because of anything Brother Charles has done. It's because of what we do. You know, when we get ready to go on a mission trip, what do we do? Well, we prepare. Some of you are going on the mission trip uh, to Ecuador, Peru. You know you have meeting and meeting and meeting for that. Uh, Brother John's already got people meeting about going to Marion, Arkansas this year. We're preparation for that. You have to prepare. I'd like for us to see our Sunday schools have a time of preparation for Sunday school. Do you prepare yourself before you come to Sunday school every Sunday morning? Do you pray for your teacher? Do you bring your Bible? Have you invited somebody to go with you? Can you think what would happen if we would approach Sunday school like we do mission trips? I'm not opposed to mission trips. I'm just saying Sunday school is the outreach tool of the church, and we're not using it as effectively as we could. We need to prepare. We need to pray about Sunday school. You need to pray for your Sunday school teacher. You know, you say, well, my Sunday school teacher gets on my nerves sometimes. Well, the Lord may be putting him on your nerves so you can pray for him and, and, and then he'll really step on your feet and then you'll get right with God and you'll think, I was wrong. I didn't like my Sunday school teacher enough. It wasn't him, it was me. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about people complaining? Right? You know, I want to tell you, our Sunday school teachers are a dedicated group and they shouldn't have to do all the ministry. They really shouldn't. They should teach the class, but they ought to have care groups. We need to work on our Sunday school. 
because it's the outreach of the church. By the way, if something happens to your family, the first thing I'm going to ask Pat, my secretary, is whose Sunday school class are they in? And the sad thing is, with all the emphasis we put on Sunday school, most of the time when I say, whose Sunday school class are they in? She says, well, they're not in anybody's class. And you know what we hear? They either used to come or they never got plugged in. It breaks my heart when I lead people to Christ and I encourage them to go to Sunday school and they don't go to Sunday school and they don't get plugged in and then we lose them. Because you see, if, if we don't minister to them, their needs aren't met. They're gonna to go to some other places. We need to use our Sunday school like it was a mission trip. Uh, and, and again, classes need to be organized, they need to be ministering and they need to be going. And then the building, this is, this is something, I, again, don't have a heart attack, all right? All right, when I say this, we need to build a building. We need to build a building. Every room in this building and across the street is used for Sunday school at 1045. Brother Bob just started a class in the last room, and that was the library, which is probably not a great classroom, but it's the only room we had. You say, okay, preacher, what are you going to do? Well, we've got a place down here by the end of the children's building. We're going to build a family life center. You say, how are you going to build it? You're going to borrow money? Nope, not going to borrow a dime. We're going to build that building like we bought the bus. We got ready to buy a bus. When we got the money, we bought the bus. We didn't buy the bus until we had the money. We're not going to build the building until we have the money. Somebody said, well, how's that going to help us pay the debt? Well, look at this. If we build a building, we get more people in. We get more people in. We have more money coming in. We have more money coming in. We get more to missions. We get more to pay on the debt. And by the way, let me remind you of this. God is not broke. Now, the United States may not be as wealthy as we used to be. In fact, I heard somebody say this, and I don't ever know where to believe this stuff or not. Because, you know, you can say anything, but I heard some guy say it, and he's supposed to be an expert. But he said, about eight years ago, 60% of the world's wealth was in the United States. He said, today, only about 22% of the world's wealth is in the United States. I don't know if that's right or not, but I want to tell you this. God is not broke. God is not in trouble. God's not scratching his head up in heaven wondering how he's going to take care of his children. You say, oh, no, I know what you're going to do, Brother Mike. You're going to put on one of those drives, and you're going to make us come and eat supper and eat chicken and, and English peas and not pay for it. And then you're going to get up and say, I want your money. I want every penny you got. I want you to give me all your money for the next three years. I'm never going to do that again. So help me, God. I read in the Bible where when they got ready to build the tabernacle, you know what Moses did? <laughs> Moses said, hey, God wants us to build him a place. Y'all bring it. Y'all just bring it. Now, let me remind you, they had ransacked the Egyptians before they left Egypt, all right? It wasn't like these were people out of the ghetto, all right? I mean, they had been slaves, but uh, they went in, and the Bible tells very plainly, they had taken everything they could get their hands on out of Egypt. And so Moses said, if you got it and God can use it, bring it. You know what Moses ended up saying? It's in the Bible. He said, hey, don't bring any more. We got more than we need. You say, well, that was Old Testament. Yeah, that was Old Testament. But I want to tell you this, God is the same. God blesses those who give sacrificially. I'm not going to ask you to sign a three-year pledge. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to ask you to give. If you got $5, give $5. You got $500, give $500. You got $5,000, give $5,000. You got five million, we'll build the building and pay part of the debt off. But, you know, God has plenty of money. It's just still in our pockets for the most part. But again, 
We're not going to build a Taj Mahal. First Baptist telling a built a nice multi-purpose building. This building would not just be a gym, but it would be a gym. It would have bleachers and watch ball games, be a full-size gym. Men could play in it without knocking the lights out like they do if we let them go full court over at the annex. Uh, it'll have a walking track at the, uh, upstairs for those of you that want to walk. When it's cold outside or rainy, you can come inside the church and walk. You can walk and pray in there. We're going to have classrooms in there. And, and, and I, I checked on this. I'm right. Don told me, and then Brother Charles reiterated it. Every room in this building is used at 1045. That would give us some extra room. You ladies, we'd put a nice room down there. We have a group that meets on Monday down in the, in the quad room called the Crafty Chicks. I can tell when they're crafty because when they're crafty, they're not clucking. And when they're clucking, they're not crafty. Now, if I want them to know I said that, I'll tell them myself. So. Some of you whose spiritual gift is gossip say, I can't wait to get home and tell the crafty chicks. I love those ladies. They're sweet ladies. They do a lot for the kingdom of God. Listen, folks, uh, we'll, we'll have rooms down there, multi-purpose rooms, and they'll be used for Sunday school. Now, you say, well, that's going to take a long time. Well, it depends on how, how the money comes in. We already have over $50,000. That's not a lot of money, but it's better than nothing. Uh, I didn't have $50,000 when I started out in my marriage. I don't know about you, but I didn't. And we, have, we had a million dollars when we started this project up here. We'd pay the land debt off, had a million dollars in the building fund before we started building. We're fiscally responsible. We need to build that building. And then look at the congregation. And, that, and that's what the church is. The church is the congregation. First of all, we're multi-generational. I look out here today and I see generations of families in that church. That is a beautiful sight to me. When families come to the same church and worship God, and, and I, see, I see kids that have grown up in this church that I knew them when they were teenagers, and now they're taking leadership roles, and, and now they're providing service to the Lord as adults. And I saw them grow up, I mean, from little bitty kids. When you've been somewhere 33 years, it's a blessing. Yes, I, I've known some of the greatest people in the world at this church. When I came here, we had people like Joe and Dolly Hodges, and Willie Mae Dennis, and Myrtle Cummins, and Betty and Benny Dennis, uh, people that I dearly love and that I miss, but I'm going to see in heaven. And they're, they're the ones who, who, with God's help, without God, we can do nothing. But, but God builds the church. I'm not a church builder. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. God's the church builder. And we need to let him do that. We're more, and we're multi-ethnic. I look out and I see African-Americans here. And let me say to our African-American members, you'll never know how much I love you. You'll never know how special you are to me. I grew up in a church where we would sing, Jesus loves the little children of the world. And we'd sing that, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And I'd look around my Sunday school room and I'd see white and white and white and white. And now we see African American. We see people at the next service at 1045, there's a family that sits back up here under the balcony. And they're from Pakistan. And the, the young couple has moved here and they're citizens. But her mom and daddy are here from Pakistan. And, and his, his name is Iqbad, and her name is Bibi. And they don't understand a word I say. But they come in and they worship back there. And we went and had lunch with them one day at their house, so sweet, so precious. And Iqbad wanted to read the Bible to us in Pakistani. And Iqbad wanted to pray for us. And he wept, and, and, and you say, well, preacher, what's, so, what's the big deal about that? They're visiting here, and they'll have to go back in a few weeks. And when they'll go back to Pakistan, you know what's going to happen? They're going to be persecuted because they're Christians in an Islamic country. You see why I love those folks? 
They know what it's like to take a stand for Jesus. Iqbal doesn't own any land. He's what we'd call a tenant farmer. He has to pay to send his kids to school, and he's educated every one of his kids with the help and grace of Almighty God. You say, well, preacher, what difference does that make? The Bible says in heaven there's going to be people of every tribe and tongue and nation. And when our church gets multi-ethnic, it's a picture of what heaven looks like. Heaven, heaven is going to be a place where we're going to worship with people that are different from us. Why do we have to wait to heaven to worship with them? Let's welcome them. Let's invite them. Let's say, hey, we're glad you're here. God bless you. You are one of us. Why? Because we're God's children. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're blood brothers and blood sisters. We've been bought by the blood of the Lamb without spot or blemish. And then external potential. I want us to work on the Kenyan church. I want, we've got the land there. We've got the well. We're going to talk to Brother Charles Juma about what will it take to get a church. Living Waters Baptist Church there. That's an unreached place. We've got a well there. That well is going to be the means of reaching people. We need to work on that. We need to work on Valentine. One of the things we're going to do this year is in, when we do our, our move project this spring is we're going to target Valentine. I've already told the Shelby Association that we plan on planting a church in Valentry just like we planted the church in River Chase. In fact, River Chase was in Hoover, Valentry is in Pelham. And one day when the time is right, we'll plant a church out there. Right now there's no land available. But we'll plant a church out there, a Baptist church out there in Valentry someday. And then we have the mission field. We have Shelby County, the largest unchurched county in the state of Alabama. And we have the Birmingham area. There's always ministry we can do in Birmingham. But then I want you to notice, and I want to focus on this. Notice what Jesus said. And I don't think he said this to Peter. I think he said this to all believers. He said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, it means a whole lot more than I can tell you in about 30 seconds. But he said, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. You know what I think that tells us? I think that tells us that it is only our vision that limits us. It's only our vision that limits us. And I'm not talking about your physical vision. I'm talking about your spiritual vision. You see, if, if you look down all the time, and you never look up, you won't ever see the stars. You won't ever see the moon. You won't ever see the sun. And some people go through, even some Christians go through life just looking down all the time. And they're focused on all the bad things they see down here. But I want to tell you, the Bible says look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Don't allow earthly problems to stop your spiritual vision. With God, all things are possible. I'm excited. I think the best days of the church are still out in the future. We've had some glorious days in the past, and we're going to have even more glorious days in the future, and there will come that day when the trumpet shall sound, and we'll all be gathered together in heaven. And the Bible says then, rewards will be given. 
And let me say this, some of you never get your name in the bulletin. Some of you never get recognized on the platform. But I want to tell you, God is watching what you do. And he's keeping a record of it. And Jesus said this. He said, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, I'm going to reward you for it. That's what the church is. We're bringing water to a thirsty world. We're bringing the bread of life to a hungry world. We're bringing the Savior to a lost world. I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Those keys are in your hand and in my hand. And with God's help, the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the church of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the church, not the building. Lord, if these buildings were gone tomorrow, the church would still exist. But Lord, I praise you that you've given us the opportunity to serve you in a challenging time, in an exciting time, in a time where we can travel overseas and, and share the gospel, in a time where we can walk across the street and share the gospel. And Father, I pray for this church. Lord, this church will never be any stronger than our weakest member. And Father, I pray today that people who love Christ would also love his church. I pray for our Sunday school. Lord, I pray that our Sunday school would become more than just an organization that meets on Sunday morning. I pray that it would become an organism. It would be a part of the body. It would be a, a part of the body that's reaching and teaching and ministering seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Now, Father, during this invitation, I pray if there's somebody here that's lost, they'll be saved. If there's somebody here today that's saved, they haven't been baptized, they'll come today saying, I want to come into the church. I want to come into the fellowship of the church like those young men who were baptized earlier today, following Jesus in believer's baptism. Lord, you told us that we're to follow you and you showed us how to be baptized when John the Baptist baptized you in the River Jordan, immersed you, submerged you under the flowing waters of Jordan to fulfill all righteousness. Father, I pray for folks who are struggling today. Lord, I know there are people in this room who need a special touch from you. I've heard their stories. I've listened and I've tried to give them wise counsel. But God, I pray that you'd be the wonderful counselor to them. Father, for those who come today, they're broken. Lord, I thank you that you've come to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. I pray you do that during this invitation. And now, blessed Spirit of the living God, thou art welcome in this place. Come and convict and convert and cleanse and consecrate and call according to thy will in Jesus' name.